All right. Good morning. We're going to get started. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame of
morning. Welcome to the West Irwin Church of Christ. So good to see you all this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad uh, that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. And we're so glad to have you here with us. And for everyone joining us online, uh, hello there. Um, if you'll look at the seat back in front of you, there's a little white card. That's our attendance cards. And so grab that, fill that out. There's one side for members and then one side for visitors. If you'll fill that out, we'll have our young guys come around in a little bit to pick that up. And that will be very, very helpful for us. So this evening, today is Sunday. This evening we are having a small group Sunday. So get with your small groups, um, go spend some time with them, eat food, usually good food involved. Um, so a good little little appetizer for the meal coming up later this week. So that's this evening. Get with your small groups. And then Tuesday, so if you show up on Wednesday for class, um, there might be two or three other people here, and y'all can have a nice little class together. Uh, but the rest of us won't be, because we are having our annual Tuesday night Pie Diva, with it being the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, that's going to be this Tuesday, so just a couple days from now. It'll be at 6.30. We're going to have pies. We'll have um, some just a little bit of worship and a Devo and It'll, it'll be a good time. It's always fun and, and good fellowship, especially, getting to sit around and, and eat pies together. So that's Tuesday at 6.30 over in the Family Life Center. We hope that you'll join us for that. I'm going to be reading Psalm 103. You know, with Thanksgiving coming up uh, this morning in class, we just spent the whole time talking about different things that we're thankful for. And, and one of the points that we hit on was um, things that we take for granted that we're thankful for. And I, I think, honestly, at the top of that list, a lot of times, is what God has done for us, the different characteristics that we see in, in the way that God loves us. And so I want to remind us of that this morning, reading Psalm 103, starting in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then a a couple psalms later, Psalm 107, verse 1 reads, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Good morning. I want to, again, welcome everybody here, those who are our regular members and our guests and those who are joining us online. And uh, one announcement, uh, just to make real quick, Jet Stiefer's aunt, Pam Getty, passed away, and uh, we want to just remember the Stiefer family. So this is Thanksgiving week, and when I was a student at Abilene Christian, which when I think about it, it was a whole lot longer ago than I care to think about. But we had, a, I know that the week of Thanksgiving, we didn't have the whole week off. I think maybe we had Wednesday before Thanksgiving off, but we had class on Monday and Tuesday. And I remember a professor one day walked into class and uh, basically said that for anybody that was not able to go home for Thanksgiving, they were welcome to come to his and his wife's house for Thanksgiving dinner. And it never dawned on me that somebody wouldn't be able to go home for Thanksgiving. I mean, what I do, got in the car, drove home. But there were people that lived from out of state, and it just wasn't enough time to go home, especially with the Christmas holidays a few weeks after. And the point 
I make in sharing that story is the things that we do matter, and we never sometimes realize the impact that we can have on people. And sometimes it's something as significant as that, and sometimes it's something just as small as an encouragement card because what we do, it matters. Anyway, um, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for you to be able to gather in this place to commune with you and to commune with each other. And Father, for the freedom to worship you and to learn about your word. And Father, we're thankful for knowing that when we meet together, that you are present and where you are present, there is power, power among us. And Father, today we cast our burdens on you and we know that you are aware of everything going on in our lives and that we pray for the peace that you, that only you can give us to take away our fears and our worries and our anxieties. And Father, we pray that you will help us to reflect on your goodness and to know that you provide the strength to help us through the trials that we all experience in our lives. And Father, we pray especially for those who are traveling uh, to visit family on Thanksgiving, those who are traveling to visit family here on Thanksgiving. And we just pray that uh, you'll be with them and give them safe journeys uh, to where they're going and to return home. And Father, we pray for this church. We pray for the staff and the elders and the deacons and the teachers and the volunteers. And Father, most assuredly, we pray for the growth of this church. And Father, there are those on our prayer list that we want to bring to you in prayer. Susan Womack, Rachel Pugh, Donnie and Susie Carnathan, Jeff Ingram, the family of Emma Lambert, who uh, was the young lady that passed away from um, complications from a transplant. Pray that you be with that family in losing a, a child. Sharon Beaver and Kaisley Blackstone. And Father, there are those on this list that aren't included on the list, but we know that you know who they are. And Father, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to those who need comfort and protection. And Father, we pray for our elected leaders. And sometimes we just don't understand what is going on in the political world. And Father, we know that there are those who will use strife to divide us, and it's in that division that Satan will use to keep us from being focused on you. And Father, we pray for the unrest in the world, especially in the Middle East. We don't know what the result of that will be, but we pray that, uh, that you will provide a guiding hand but we pray especially for those who are caught in the middle of all that and the families who have lost loved ones and the refugees and the hostages. And Father, we pray that you'll soften the hearts of those who have perpetrated this, this evil. And this is challenging for us, but we have to be mindful that all involved are precious in your sight, Christian, Jew, and Muslim. But we pray for your intervention so that this does not spread. And Father, we pray that you will be strong, that we will be strong and steadfast, steadfast in the battle between good and evil because we want to always keep in our mind the words from John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Father, we know that we have all sinned and we all fall short, but we are here to help and encourage each other because we know that you always love us, that you'll never forsake us, and that you'll always do what's best for us. In your son's name we pray, amen. As we prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, let's sing, come share the Lord.
we gather here in Jesus' name. His love is reigning in our hearts like living flame. Our free love-loving Son, the Father makes us one. Come take the bread, come drink the wine, come share the In the year 1600, King James of England commissioned the first Greek to English translation of the Bible. At that time, they had eight Greek New Testament manuscripts. The earliest dated back to the 900s. Today, we have over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts, and 60 of those date back to the 2nd and 3rd centuries. Although language differences such as writing styles and spellings are easily noticed when comparing the manuscripts, the message is the same. Jesus Christ was prophesied to come. He was born to a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on a Roman cross for the sins of humanity, and he resurrected on the third day. As an illustration of the message not changing, this is a Bible from 1846. And what I would like to do is to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following from this Bible that was put together in the early 1800s. And uh, for those of you who may not know, this was about 100 years before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take Eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often... As, you, as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. The point of this reading is that the message has not changed. It has not changed. And if you're wondering, we have over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts, but by the time we got into the second century, Latin came about, and we now have over 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and the message has not changed. Story doesn't change, the narrative doesn't change, the ideas don't change. We actually have more 
ancient biblical text than any classical author. And you can actually combine all the classical authors together and it still doesn't come close to the amount of ancient evidence that we have for the New Testament text. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that we have your word that you have preserved for 2,000 years and even beyond looking at the Old Testament. We are so thankful, Lord, that that word that we have today, we know predicted your son to come, which he did, to live a sinless life. He did to be that Passover lamb for us, which he was on that Roman cross, to have the blood of the new covenant, which gives us your grace. And Lord, we pray that as we partake of this bread, which represents the body of Christ, on that Roman cross, we pray that we would do so in a worthy manner, remembering the sacrifice that he made. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. He joins us here. He Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue this memorial, this celebration in the blood of your Son, 
we ask, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be in tune with that sacrifice. We pray, dear God, that we would partake of this fruit of, a, of the vine, which represents the blood that was spilt that day for all humanity. We pray that we would partake of it in a worthy manner. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. conversation this last week with a co-worker about the idea of giving. He was curious about the New Testament tan- stance on giving, and he had had uh, uh, some with inside of his realm that were kind of arguing with him on it. They felt that he should be giving to a specific, specific place for that matter. And so he, he wanted to know my ideas on it, and I said, well, first of all, you're not going to find the word tithe anywhere in the New Testament text. Uh, you're not going to find the percentage of 10%. You're not going to find any of that stuff in the New Testament text. Now, what we do know is that they gave in the early church. We do know that. Now, how much they gave, we're not quite sure. We do know that Paul's writings talk about the overabundance of their giving. Now, what exactly that entails, we're not quite sure. But we do know this for sure. One, we cannot outgive God. So if we are generous all the time throughout the week and even now, God's going to take care of us. He always has and he always will. So this is really just an extension of what we're supposed to be doing all the time. One very interesting study is the old, in the Old Testament, uh, when you look at the Levitical law, what you'll notice when you add up everything that they gave, whether it was grain offerings, free will offerings, animal sacrifices, any of that stuff, they gave actually about 60%. Now, Bill would want me to tell you to give 60%, but I'm not going to do that. Not this morning. The whole point is, is it's between you and God. It's always between you and God. It's not necessarily, it's not a percentage. It's what's on your heart, and it's between you and God. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, our Father, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've blessed us with. We thank you for this body and this church. We thank you for being in this country despite its flaws. We, we know that this country has a lot of problems, Lord, but at the same time, it's still the best one. And we thank you for that. It's, it's the best because of you. We thank you, Lord, for the houses that we have, the clothes on our backs, transportation, food, 
and everything is right here at our grasp, and we thank you for all that. We pray, Lord, that as we give of our hearts this week and even right now, that we would do so in a manner pleasing to you. We want to be that cheerful giver that you are proud of. Thank you for everything, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago, um, going back about five or six years, and then for the, probably the previous 25 before that, uh, this church did not do trunk or tree. We did what was called fall festival. Uh, the youth group kind of took the reins on that, and we transformed uh, the Family Life Center uh, into a bunch of fun games, and there was always a little bit of food, uh, but it was warm and it was dry. That sure was nice, wasn't it? This year, we asked you, actually I asked you, and you all remembered to bring all of the candy. And we, we, were, we were prepared. My office looked like a candy apocalypse for about a month. Uh, and so Sunday morning rolls around, uh, October the 29th, and we, saw, we all saw the, the forecast. We heard Tucker get up here and give us his just, it's not going to rain kind of thing, and we sure hoped he was right, and he was not. And there were a couple of other churches in town that are actually down in the downtown area who were going to have events that night, and specifically one of them, during their service, announced that they would be canceling their event that night. Audible screams were heard from children I'm not making that up. Weeping and gnashing of teeth were happening here that morning. So we had a quick powwow and said, are we still going to do this? And the answer was an unequivocal yes. And so it began with the bringing of candy. And uh, we still have some candy (laughs) because of of what the weather did. Uh, Then it turned into a group that uh, decorated our Family Life Center for us. Uh, in the week leading up to that night. Uh, If you weren't here that night and didn't get to see the machine that was our kitchen crew that night, uh, they were packaging pre-made meals to hand out to people. We had hand stamps to making sure that people, if they had come through once, because we were the only game in town that night, and we wondered, will anyone come? We really did. It, it, It never quit raining. Uh, It never rained really hard, but we were prepared, and kids came. Uh, Their families came, and over and over, probably the best part of the night was getting to hear the thank yous. Um, Thank you for doing what you said you were going to do. We sent that email to all of TISD. All of over 7,000 households knew that we were going to be having something that night, and so we wanted to, to be able to do that. So while the kitchen crew was manning the Family Life Center and that well-oiled machine was going uh, in the, the lighthouse, uh, our youth group had a, a, walk th- or a spooky walkthrough for all the kids. Uh, I went through it. I was not spooked. Logan was, tried to be weird. It didn't work. I knew it was him. I got real close to my face. <laughs> but 
in all honesty, I, I have been in church ministry for over 20 years, full-time in church capacities, and that may have been one of the most encouraging nights of my life. Because in the rain, in the cold, y'all showed up. And it meant a lot, probably more to me than it did to the kids that came. And for those that had their trunks open and their tents set up and brought fire pits to sit around, which was an amazing pivot for that group, last minute from a beach scenario to a fire pit, everyone had a wonderful time. None of us were dry by the end of it. I looked like a vagabond wandering in a soaked beard and a trash bag and a cart full of candy. Look, I had just stolen all the candy. But I just wanted to say on behalf of those kids and on behalf of the people who were blessed because of that night to this church. If I, I said it in my bulletin article a couple of weeks ago, but I want to say it again so you can see from my face. Thank you. Because... It means so much to be not just people of our word, but people who are willing to put ourselves, as many of us talked about in our Bible classes this morning, on the back burner. To be selfless instead of selfish. It would have been very easy for us just to cancel and to not have that opportunity still for those families. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you got to be one of the people who shook their hands or saw their smiles or played those games with those kids that... Even in the pouring rain, they were so happy to be there. They were so happy for the opportunity, and I was so proud to be a part of this church that night. So regardless of what it does next year, we're hoping for good weather, but we know it doesn't have to be. And so thank you from the bottom of our heart for being a part. Whether you brought candy, worked in the kitchen, worked in the lighthouse, or were in the parking lot with your shoes full of water just like mine was, it was a wonderful night. I think Eric was the scariest thing in that fry house. <laughs> At this time, um, our blast programs are in the blast room now, so those, to be, those kids can be dismissed. But before the sermon, let's stand and sing, Humble Yourself. Humble yourself inside the Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Be seated, please. You know, in most sporting events, there's usually a winner and a loser. And that's great for sporting events. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but there was a World Series played recently. And it just so happens that the local team, the Texas Rangers, won that World Series. Now, counting that one, how many times have the Rangers won the World Series? Once. Counting that one, remember? So, no more will we say they've never won it. Now we can say, oh, yeah, they've won it. Oh, sure, sure. And yes, I have the hat and the shirt to prove it. Uh, because who knows when this will happen again. In most sporting events, there's usually a winner and a loser. I'm not sure about trunk or treat. I think that was a win-win situation where our church got to have a big win, as Eric said, and thanks to all of those who made that happen on such a horrible weather day. But certainly all of the kids and all of the families in this community and throughout the Tyler Independent School District that heard about this and came, what a, what a blessed event uh, that was. And so there were no losers that day. Um, and that is the truth. Maybe not in baseball, but in life, you long for a win-win. Where everybody wins. Where there's not a real loser, per se. That's that's what we want. That's what we want. I think that's what we got with Trunk or Treat. And that's what we look for in all major conflicts. We are trying and striving for a win-win. Where it's not like a sporting event where somebody has to lose, but maybe it's something where... Maybe everybody doesn't get everything they want, but it can still be a win, can be a win-win. And those are very hard, and those conflicts go far beyond just uh, the ones that we're aware of. Sometimes those uh, conflicts involve two people. It may be a parent-child, it may be a couple of friends, it may be a couple of siblings, could be a husband-wife, could be friends, a church conflict between fellow church members. Um, it could be even broader. It could be businesses that are kind of in conflict and are working against each other. And someone comes in and tries to negotiate and tries to come up with a good solution that can be somehow a win-win. I appreciate Grant's prayer and our other uh, prayer leaders over these last uh, several weeks that have been talking about our, our dangerous world right now and the conflict that's going on in the Middle East and the conflict that's been happening between Russia and Ukraine and the potential conflict between China and Taiwan and the conflict that we see even in this country and in Western Europe and in other places uh, between Arabs and Jews or between all kinds of different scenarios. And we ask ourselves, how, how, God, are you going to come up with a win-win on, on those? And so I find myself praying as Grant led us in praying for, for God's blessing and for God's will to be done. Um, and to strive in my little corner of the world to bring that about as, as best I can. In life, you long 
for a win-win. Sometimes someone loses. Sometimes that's just the way it is. Maybe a lot of the time. But it doesn't have to happen every time. As we've been going through the habits of effective, the seven habits of effective living, a book by Stephen Covey using that as a resource and modifying it quite a bit. Today we come upon one of those habits, which is think, win, win. Last time we had seek first to understand, then to be understood. This is the part where we're not just talking about me personally, but we're talking about how I interact with other people. And so that first part is to seek first to understand where they're coming from and what their values are and what's driving their decision and their positions. And then perhaps as opportunity develops with a proper spirit to share the things that I feel so that I can be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And so today builds on that and it is think, win, win. And that's what this chart is. As you can see, the chart has columns and rows. Um, and from low to high, from uh, uh, lower part of the, the row, the lower row to the upper row, that's the consideration scale. And so you go from a, a low consideration to a high consideration. And that is trying to help the other person win. The first win or lose statement there is you. The second win or lose statement is the other person or the other group or the other side, whatever you might say. And so you'll notice on the bottom row, uh, it's, uh, the second part is lose and, and the next one is lose also. So that person that you're uh, having this conflict with loses. The consideration is low. Upper, they win. And so you have a consideration is high, and it allows the other person or the other side uh, to win. When you're looking at the columns, they also go from low to high. But in this case, it's the first one that is lose in the first column and win in the second column. That's you. That's where you feel strongly enough about the issue that you're discussing, whatever that might be, that you're willing to fight for a win. And that takes courage. And so you see the different quadrants. The lower left is lose-lose, where the consideration for the other person is low and the courage that it takes to when your point is also low, so it doesn't matter. That might be a void. That might be where you don't squabble at all. You just let it go. And there's really no, no clear winner of, of either. You look at the right of that one, and that is win-lose, where you win and the person that you're in this discussion with loses. It's a win-lose. You get your way. They don't. So courage is at a high, but consideration is at a low. When you look at that top uh, row, you see consideration is a high on both. And the first one, the courage is low because you're not trying to get a win. It's lose, win. You lose, they win. And you're okay with that. 
And that's, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes accommodate is the thing that you do. You give in so that they can have their way, and it's, it's not an important enough issue for you to have the courage to drive your point home and win the day. So it's a lose-win. And then the upper right is where consideration for the other person is high. And so they get a win. But also the courage that you're willing to put out there in order to be understood and make your case and win your point is also high. And that's where you come up with win, win. The consideration you have for the other side, for the other person, for the other group, for the other uh, point is high, but also the, the courage that you're willing to expend to drive your point home. And win, in that perspective, is also high. And so you have to give others, that other person uh, a win takes consideration. And for you to achieve that win, for you to win the day, for you to have your personal point accepted requires courage. And so the lose-win, the upper left, might be appeasing and accommodating, as we said. The win-lose at the bottom right is where you're arguing and competing, and, and you have to win. Now, the Texas Rangers won, <laughs> and for them to win, their opponent had to lose. And weren't we all okay with that? <laughs> we were, if you're a Rangers fan. But again, that's sports. That's sports. And sometimes in life it has to be that way too. Someone wins and someone loses. Or one company wins and another loses. Or one nation wins and another loses. But it doesn't have to be that way all the time. The win-win is a collaborative solution where you come up with enough for each perspective, each position, each person, each group that they feel good about it. And you feel good about it. It's a win-win. And so we talked last week about going below the line. For those of you that were here, you remember at the top is the issue. That's, that's what you're fighting over. And then from there, you have a couple of different positions. You have two groups or two individuals or uh, two uh, siblings or whatever, and they have their position. I think we should do this. Well, I think we should do that. And so that's, that's where the conflict is. But then you have a line under that, and you go below that line, and those are the values. Those are the interests that are driving those positions. And so when you're in a conflict situation like that, you ask yourself, okay, why is this important to you? And why is this important to me? Because you really want to get below that line. You really want to get to those areas where this is what's important to me, and let's address that. And that's when you can come up with a collaborative solution, and you can say, okay, how can we address your concerns and my concerns more than just the positions that we're fighting over, how can we address those things that are driving that, the interests and values that we have, so that we can come up with a solution that can speak to both of those? That's a win-win, and that takes work. So here are some things that will help. Being considerate, again, con con caring about the other person, 
valuing that relationship, valuing their perspective, having enough respect for them and consideration for them that you'll actually listen and hear them out. Seek first to understand, as we said last week. But then also having courage, being willing to share your personal goals, being willing to verbalize what's really important to you. Even though that may risk, that may risk the relationship, and sometimes that's the right thing to do. That takes courage. Some other characteristics, humility, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Remembering we ourselves are imperfect sinners, our wisdom and knowledge is not uh, perfect. We could be wrong, or as the Fonz would say, I could be... You have a hard time saying that one, so do we. Taking responsibility, being honest with yourself and with that other person. That's hard. That takes courage, but those are the things it takes. And being willing to forgive. Amy Morin in her book, uh, 13 uh, Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. The second one is they don't give up their power, which means that they don't allow someone else and their thinking to affect them and their lives. Scripture calls that being willing to forgive. We'll talk more about that one in a moment. Having a good awareness and knowledge of the Bible, being a person of prayer, being faithful, being around other Christians who share those values so that you can have that encouragement that you need. It doesn't mean that there's never a conflict, and Scripture certainly assumes that. And Jesus himself speaks to that. And that's where we turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're familiar with some of this, but let's get there first. Matthew 18, Jesus is asked about the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what does he say? This little child that's really a nobody in the current society. But that would be the greatest. And Jesus has stern warnings about those who would take advantage of those who are helpless like a little child. And then he says this, beginning in verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that was lost? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Value, consideration, respect. For that one that has wandered off. For that one that is fallen away. For that one that is making bad choices and decisions in their life. And you hear that urging of the Spirit to help. And that brings us to this passage in beginning in verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others with you, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. One of the, I think, only two places in the New Testament where the word church is used. And if they listen, if they refuse to listen even to the church, not the New Testament, in the Gospels, sorry, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, notice what he does not say. 
He does not say, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault to several other people. That's not what he says. That's not what he says. Joyce and I had a very dear friend in San Antonio. She was a registered nurse. She had a son that was in the youth group with us. She was a wonderful volunteer, wonderful Christian woman. Great godly example and model. So much so that lots of people would go to her for counsel, including many of us who were teenagers. And we would go to her, and if when we started, we started talking about one of the other friends in the youth group that we were at, at odds with, she would say, wait, halt, stop. I don't want to know any more about this until you answer this question. Have you prayed about this? And if you said, well, no, not really, then she said, okay, that's all. We're not having this discussion. You pray about this first. And so then you do that, and then you go back to her, and you say, well, I've got this problem and this conflict. She says, wait, hold it, wait. Have you prayed about this? And you say, well, actually, yes, I have prayed about this. And then she would ask what? Have you gone to that person? Have you talked to them about this? And if you said no, then she would have the same response. Sorry, I'm not interested in hearing about this until you've gone to them. Why is that? Because that's what Jesus said to do. That's what Jesus said to do. And I would imagine a lot of the times it works out then if you have two good hearts. But Jesus acknowledges that it doesn't always work out. That's when you pull in a couple of trusted, spiritually minded people. And you talk about that together with them. And then still sometimes you have to go and bring it to the church to pray over this. And to share that concern. And to bring them back. There's a passage in Galatians 6 where Paul counsels the church at Galatia about this. Starting in verse 1, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, gently. But watch yourselves or you also, as you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. And Paul gives a great example of this and shares it in the book of Galatians in chapter 2 when he talks about the conflict he had with another apostle, Simon Peter. And he confronted him face to face about what he was doing that was not in accordance with the love and word of Christ. We see another example of that in Acts chapter 8, where this man tried to buy the gift of being able to pass along miraculous powers from Peter and John, who were two apostles. <laughs> and that didn't go well. But when they confronted him about it, he said, pray for me. He was called to repent, and he did. And he asked for their prayers. A great example of that happening. And so all those things come into play. Humility, considering yourself, because you know you, you, you can be tempted too. Being willing to go to that person first. Trying to keep that in that context so that it can be worked out and worked through. 
But then there's another part of Matthew 18. And it starts in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Which sounded like a lot. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. And that was unreasonable. And then Jesus tells a story, a parable in the verses that follow about unreasonable forgiveness. Tells the story of a man who owed a great debt, a debt that he could never be able to pay back. Let's say he owed $10 million. And the man said, where's my money? Pay up. It's time. And he said, I can't do it. And he says, okay, to jail with you and your family. And he begs for mercy, begs for forgiveness. And the man says, okay, fine. I'll let you off. And then as he's leaving, the man comes up to someone, let's say, who owed him $100. And he goes to that man and demands his money. And the man says the same thing. Oh, I, I just need a little bit of time. Just please forgive me right now and I'll, I'll get it to you. And he has no mercy and he has him thrown in jail. But there are people that are watching and they go back to that initial master and they say, you probably need to be aware of what he did. And so verse 32 and following that master puts him in prison. Until he could pay what he could never be able to pay. And then Jesus sums it up in verse 35 of Matthew 18. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. How important is forgiveness? And when we are at odds with someone, what's our purpose in going to them? Is our purpose a win-lose, we win They lose. We get proven right. They get proven wrong. Many scriptures on your handout that have to do with loving each other and being willing to forgive and finding that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so a few things about win-win. First of all, to confront someone, to have the difficult conversations takes courage. Remember, that's that bottom one. It takes courage to share your conviction when you know it's not going to be heard very well. It's why couples don't talk about the hard things that they need to talk about because they know it's going to lead to conflict. But what we have to remind ourselves of is, yes, it may lead to tension and conflict right now, but when we work through that, on the other side, it's better. It's better. To confront someone, to have the difficult conversations takes courage. A few things about that. Number one, this does not give permission to be inconsiderate and unkind. It does not. This must be done with humility in a spirit of meekness, as one translation says in Galatians 6. And it must be preceded and done with prayer. As our friend Edna May Becker told us. Secondly, to forgive someone, to leave it in God's hands, takes strength. And that's not the way the world sees it, is it? The world sees forgiving someone as a sign of weakness. Rather than proving them wrong and demanding vindication. To forgive someone takes incredible, incredible strength. Yet forgiveness does not necessarily mean the relationship must be restored. 
You see, abusive husbands would talk to their uh, wives that they were abusing. And in working with them in women's shelters in the Fort Worth and Arlington area years ago, I heard this time and time and time and time again. And as a preacher, these ladies would talk to me as I was a volunteer with the women's shelters. And they would say, he's saying I've got to forgive him. Isn't that what the Bible says? And I would say, well, yeah, it would be good if you could work towards forgiving him. But that doesn't mean that you take him back. It doesn't mean you let him back in your life. Those are two different issues. If you're in business with someone and they are dishonest and they take advantage of you, you can forgive them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you go back into business with them. You say, well, Bill, then you haven't really forgiven. Oh, that's a different issue, different issue. If you're betrayed by a friend, you can forgive them, but you may have a little bit greater distance. Forgiving someone doesn't mean the relationship must be restored. It might be, but it doesn't have to be. Secondly, forgiving someone does not necessarily mean that consequences no longer should be faced. Again, those are two different issues. There may be consequences that have to be faced, but you can still forgive them. Nor does you forgiving them mean God has forgiven them. Your forgiveness of them has more to do with your salvation than theirs. Because God has commanded that we forgive. And what forgiveness is, ultimately, it is turning their sin and their situation and how they have wronged you over to God. And saying, God, I, this is destroying me. I'm going to let you deal with this. I'm going to let you have this. Number three, the next blank, the purpose of confrontation is always restoration. The purpose of confrontation is always restoration. If that's not the purpose, then you might want to ask yourself and do a lot of praying before you go and have that conversation. Because it may be that Satan is using this tension, this conflict, to harm your heart and possibly theirs as well. And so finally, to have a win-win takes courage and strength, humility, and faith. It takes consideration and courage to have a win for them and a win for you. But shouldn't this be our goal and our prayer? To find a way to have a win-win in our relationships with other people, even when there's tension and conflict? And wasn't this Jesus' goal? And he certainly accomplished it. We think about that and you might say, well, no, Bill, it was a lose-win because Jesus had to die for us. That's right. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? You see, the conflict was between us and our Creator and our God over our sin. And God could have had a win-lose where He says, okay, I'm justified in telling you, you're dead. But instead, God found a way to be faithful both to His justice and to His mercy and love. To provide a way where the holiness of God could remain intact. But those who learned to trust in Jesus could still be saved. And it took the death of His Son, but that Son was raised from the dead. And it was... A win-win. 
We think about all of these things and we, we think of the great gospel message and what Jay shared during our communion time is exactly right. Whether it's the first century or the 1800s or the 1600s or 2023, the message is the same. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And now he's called everyone to call upon his name and be saved by believing in him as the Son of God, by repenting of your sins, changing your life and saying, I'm going to do my best to be obedient to you, God, who has given so much for me. Confessing that faith to others and being baptized into Jesus Christ, being raised to live a new and sinless, forgiven life. Yes, we'll sin again, but yes, that blood continues to cover. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. We'd love for him to be your savior forever, starting today. If we can help do that, come as we stand and sing our song together. I heard an old story, traveling anywhere, safe travels, and a happy Thanksgiving. I stand to
Dear Lord, we are thankful for this wonderful day that you have given us to come and worship and praise you. Thank you for family. Thank you for this family here at West Irwin. I pray that you be with us all. Help us make an impact everywhere we go and help us to stand up strong against the temptations we'll face in our everyday lives. Please be with those that are going through health and life struggles and help us to be there for them when, when they need us most. Thank you for this time of year to focus on our blessings and please be with all of us who are traveling and thank you for forgiveness and hope. And thank you for sending, sending your son here to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs> 